Section 19 of Fancies versus Fads. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. Fancies versus Fads by G. K. Chesterton. Section 19. Why Reformers Go Wrong. Everybody says that each generation revolts against the last. Nobody seems to notice that it generally revolts against the revolt of the last. I mean that the latest grievance is really the last reform. To take but one example in passing, there is a new kind of novel which I have seen widely reviewed in the newspapers. No, it is not an improper novel. On the contrary, it is more proper, almost in the sense of prim, than its authors probably imagine. It is really a reaction towards a more old-fashioned morality, and away from a new-fashioned one. It is not so much a revolt of the daughters as a return of the grandmothers. Miss May Sinclair wrote a novel of the kind I mean, about a spinster whose life had been blighted by a tender and sensitive touch in her education, which had taught her, or rather expected her, always to, quote, behave beautifully, end quote. Mrs. Delafield wrote a story, with the refreshing name of Humbug, on somewhat similar lines. It suggests that children are actually trained to deception, and especially self-deception, by a delicate and considerate treatment that continually appealed to their better feelings, which was always saying, quote, You would not hurt father. End quote. Now, certainly a more old-fashioned and simple style of education did not invariably say, quote, You would not hurt father. End quote. Sometimes it preferred to say, quote, Father will hurt you. End quote. I am not arguing for or against the father with the big stick. I am pointing out that Miss Sinclair and the modern novelists really are arguing for the father with the big stick, and against a more recent movement that is supposed to have reformed him. I myself can remember the time when the progressives offered us as a happy prospect the very educational method which the novelists now describe so bitterly in retrospect we were told that true education would only appeal to the better feelings of children that it would devote itself entirely to telling them to live beautifully that it would use no argument more arbitrary than saying quote, you will not hurt father End quote. that ethical education was the whole plan for the rising generation in the days of my youth. We were assured beforehand how much more effective such a psychological treatment would be than the bullying and blundering idea of authority. The hope of the future was in this humanitarian optimism, in the training of the young. In other words, the hope was set on something which, when it is established, Mrs. Delafield instantly calls humbug, and Miss Sinclair appears to hate as a sort of hell. What they are suffering from, apparently, is not the abuses of their grandfathers, 
but the most modern reforms of their fathers these complaints are the first fruits of reformed education of ethical societies and social idealists i repeat that i am not for the moment talking about their opinions and not mine i am not eulogizing either big sticks or psychological scalpels i am pointing out that the outcry against the scalpel inevitably involves something of a case for the stick i have never tied myself to a final belief in either but i point out that the progressive generation after generation does elaborately tie himself up in new knots and then roar and yell aloud to be untied it seems a little hard on a late victorian idealist to be so bitterly abused merely for being kind to his children there is something a little unconsciously comic about the latest generation of critics who are crying out against their parents quote, never never can i forgive the tenderness with which my mother treated me End quote. there is a certain irony in the bitterness which says quote, my soul cries for vengeance when i remember that papa was always polite at the breakfast table my soul is seared by the persistent insolence of uncle william in refraining from clotting me over the head End quote. it seems harsh to blame these idealists for idealizing human life when they were only following what was seriously set before them as the only ideal of education but if this is to be said for the late victorian idealist there is also something to be said for the early victorian authoritarian upon their own argument there is something to be said for uncle william if he did clout them over the head it is rather hard even on the great-grandfather with the big stick that we should still abuse him merely for having neglected the persuasive methods that we have ourselves abandoned it is hard to revile him for not having discovered to be sound the very sentimentalities that we have since discovered to be rotten for the case of these moderns is worst of all when they do try to find any third ideal which is neither the authority which they once condemned for not being persuasion nor the persuasion which they now condemn for being worse than authority the nearest they can get to any other alternative is some notion about individuality about drawing out the true personality of the child or allowing a human being to find his real self it is perhaps the most utterly meaningless talk in the whole muddle of the modern world how is a child of seven to decide whether he has or has not found his true individuality how for that matter is any grown-up person to tell it for him how is anybody to know whether anybody has become his true self in the highest sense it can only be a matter of mysticism it can only mean that there was a purpose in his creation it can only be the purpose of god and even then it is a mystery and anybody who does not accept the purpose of god it can only be a muddle it is so unmeaning that it cannot be called mystery but only mystification humanly considered a human personality is the only thing that does in fact emerge out of a combination of the forces inside the child and the forces outside the child cannot grow up in a void or vacuum with no forces outside circumstances will control or contribute to his character 
whether they are the grandfather's stick, or the father's persuasion, or the conversations among the characters of Miss May Sinclair. Who in the world is to say positively which of these things has, or has not helped, his real personality? What is his real personality? These philosophers talk as if there was a complete and complex animal curled up inside every baby, and we had nothing to do but to let it come out with a yell. As a matter of fact, we all know, in the case of the finest and most distinguished personalities, that it would be very difficult to disentangle them from the trials they have suffered, as well as from the truths they have found. But, anyhow, these thinkers must give us some guidance as to how they propose to tell whether their transcendental notion of a true self has been realized or no. As it is, anybody can say of any part of any personality that it is or is not an artificial addition obscuring that personality. In fiction, most of the wild and anarchical characters strike me as entirely artificial. In real life, they would no doubt be much the same if they could ever be met with in real life. But anyhow, they would be the products of experience as well as of elemental impulses. They would be influenced in some way by all they had gone through, and anybody would be free to speculate on what they would have been like if they had never had such experiences. Anybody might amuse himself by trying to subtract the experiences and find the self. Anybody who wanted to waste his time. Therefore, without feeling any fixed fanaticism for all the old methods, whether coercive or persuasive, I do think they both had a basis of common sense, which is wanting in this third theory. The parent, whether persuading or punishing the child, was at least aware of one simple truth. He knew that, in the most serious sense, God alone knows what the child is really like, or is meant to be really like. All we can do to him is to fill him with those truths which we believe to be equally true, whatever he is like. We must have a code of morals which we believe to be applicable to all children, and impose it on this child, because it is applicable to all children. If it seems to be a part of his personality to be a swindler or a torturer, we must tell him that we do not want any personalities to be swindlers and torturers. In other words, we must believe in a religion or philosophy firmly enough to take the responsibility of acting on it, however much the rising generations may knock or kick at the door. I know all about the word education, meaning drawing things out, and mere instruction, meaning putting things in, and I respectfully reply that God alone knows what there is to draw out, but we can be reasonably responsible for what we are ourselves putting in. End of section 19. Recording by Greg Giordano. Newport Ritchie, Florida.